The Agora podcast is covered by a BIPCOT no-gov license. Use and reuse is free and encouraged by anyone except governments or their agents. Find out more at BIPCOT.org. operation of the machine becomes so odious makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part you can't even passively take part and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels upon the levers by all the apparatus and you've got to make it stop you were born free you got fucked out of half of it you wave a flag celebrate <laughs> Central authority has just embedded right in it uh, its own problem, and that is that it means a few people make decisions for many people. folks welcome back to the agora podcast uh if you're a uh, usual listener of us we are your home for agorism localism radical decentralization and anti-authoritarian concepts um and if you are a new listener welcome um t- today we have a really exciting episode a very special episode because our guest is a returning guest and one of our first um he was one of our first well definitely one of our first hit guests but actually appeared in one of our very first 10 episodes because not all of those had a guest so uh sick why don't you go ahead and uh, reintroduce our esteemed guests or introduce our esteemed guests uh today we're bringing back normandy normandy was on the episode way back i believe it was episode number nine uh normandy is a, a anti-civ youtuber and thinker uh, has a, a YouTube of uh, called End the Machine and a website by the same name. Um, also a writer. Uh, he's got more than a few interesting uh, articles and essays. If you want to go check those out at his website. Um, Normandy, welcome back, man. It's good to have you. Howdy. It's good to be here. So are you comfortable with anti-civ being a, a label that you would describe yourself? Yes. Uh, well, uh I'm not sure if it's I'm not sure if it's a meaningful label because um, while I'm anti I'm I'm anti civ in a philosophical sense I'm not sure if I necessarily believe in um, believe in a, a sort of active fight on that front or anything. Uh, what label, if any, would you feel comfortable describing yourself? Hmm. Um, I'm a gardener. That's what I am. <laughs> Fair enough. I am also a pickle farmer, so there we go. We're on the Very same nice. page. Yep. Um, so, but you don't like the industrial system, and you prefer something else. I guess you could say that I'm not too fond of industrial society. Sure. Um, anybody that um, 
I, again, I would suggest you go back and listen to our first episode. We went in, we went in deep into sort of um, critiques of the industrial and te uh, techno society and civilization as a whole, and the uh, pit the the pros and cons. I would say of a primitivist society as a desired end goal. Was that a fair um, summary of our our previous conversation? Close enough. Okay. Um, so, yeah, industrial system, bad. Uh, I, <laughs> I agree there. That's about as far as we can, uh, um, we need to really go, I think. But um, what would you say the industrial system is, briefly? The industrial system uh, is a sort of, uh, it's sort of just a, a phenomenon. It's a, uh, it's sort of an autonomous system with its own self-governing rules. Um, and it's not, uh, it's not necessarily a human affair that, that humans are like at the ship and controlling. Uh, humans are sort of the intermediary between the industrial system and reality at the moment, or the technical system, I'll say. Um, but um, it's essentially, um, it's essentially the, uh, the totality of technical development on the earth. Hey, all sec here. I wanted to tell you about agoristacres.com. They're a seed company, uh, friends of the show. Uh, this is where I get my seeds from uh, here at the homestead. Um, they've got a lot, a big, wide variety of seeds. Um, they got free shipping on orders over uh, 20 bucks. It's fast shipping. Um, if you place an order, it'll be shipped next business day. A lot of cool packaging. And you can pay with uh, crypto right on the site. Um, and they're, they're agorists. And uh, they also believe in the, the importance of producing your own food. Um, and um, they have a wide variety of seeds that you won't necessarily find in a lot of other places. A lot of cool varieties interesting um seeds and they can if there's something that you're looking for they can probably get it for you too so um check out agoristacres.com and if you use promo code uh, agora10 uh, you'll save yourself 10 percent. thanks guys bye so what are some things that we would um point to to um as examples of this so mass production um yeah, mass production well, industrial agriculture um yeah well the most the most obvious thing is uh, just that our uh, economic and production systems are industrialism that would be that, that would be the most obvious thing to point to is is the physical infrastructure of uh factories and and mines and energy plants and you know uh the destruction of wild nature and all that sort of thing yeah, a, a centralization, we'll say, of the uh, production and commodity form. And obviously the, the byproduct of that being uh, environmental and human uh, degradation. Um, I, I think we all agree here. I guess my um, next point is what, what do we do about this? Well, what do we do about this is a very good question. And it's something that I've thought quite a bit about. But before we get into what uh what to do uh i think i think we should ask what ought to be done um and uh, ought sort of implies a, a moral judgment to what we're thinking about you see last time we talked um and for the years preceding that 
uh, I was spiritually, uh, really, I, I was an atheist. Uh, and I, I'm not necessarily here to talk about spirituality or anything like that. But um, I'll say that I have uh, become more spiritual since that time. Um, and it has uh, made me uh, sort of in a cosmological sense question uh, what ought to be done, what needs to be done here in physical reality, uh, and what is worth doing. Uh, and so whether or not it's worth uh, doing things, uh, and I don't just mean, you know, all things, but certain specific things, uh, I'm not exactly sure about uh, whether I ought to do this or not. Um, but I don't think that that um, can, I don't think that that will confound our discussion of what could be done. Um, but I think that's, uh, I think that's an important thing, first of all, is to consider uh, what ought to be done. Um, and what ought to be done is informed by uh, your value system, ultimately. Uh, and uh, ultimately, it's, be, it's been said that people of different um, people who are spiritual in, in different ways, um, like, for example, uh, I've 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 often heard the criticism of Christians that um, if you're Christian, then that means you have a that means you have a disregard for the world and that, you know, it doesn't matter that we're destroying the earth with the industrial system because Jesus is coming back soon. And, uh, you know, we don't we don't really need to worry about what we're doing to the earth. Um, and I am uh, I'm certainly uh, I certainly understand uh, that viewpoint. Um, but uh, in, a, in a general sense, um, I mean, unless you guys want to get into specifics on uh, on ought, uh, uh, th those are those are my sort of confused views on what ought to be done at this point. Um, but what could be done, we can we can go ahead and discuss that if you'll give me a chance to drink some water. So. Um... I would say that our audience is probably a, a wide variety of different perspectives. Um, I hope so. I believe that to be true. Um, and, but I would think all have at least some problem with the current system that we have and the centralization of production and, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, detrimental effects it has on the uh, the human condition and also the environment i i think that would probably be a generally tr uh, true statement for most of our audience now speaking in terms of morality and actually speaking for myself i i don't value morality personally i do, i don't like the is ought i like what is and what benefits my my own interest and um, I think I don't. I'm not sure that uh, a moral case is necess uh, necessary. If everyone has a, um, if everyone is affected uh, detrimentally by the system, then it makes sense that there's certain things that we could do that would we would not be de uh, um, harmed by, right? We could change the system. We could we choose something else that would benefit us more so. So Absolutely. I understand. I understand your spiritual and the moral angle. I just don't think it, it, we that that dichotomy is even necessary. I think this this is what is, and if you don't value what is, then we can do the X Y Z thing to do something else, right? That will benefit us more. So, yeah. Well, um, if go ahead before we move on to is, if you'll if you'll um, uh, just let me clarify that. Um, Actually, I'm sorry. Can can you uh, repeat what you uh, the the end of what you just said? You were talking about um, uh, is an odd. Oh, so I don't think we need. I don't think. I think that's a. Um, I don't think we need the moral justification. Okay. 
Um, I think we just need to show that um, what is is detrimental, and then what uh, things that we could do to choose a system that was not detrimental. Yeah. Um, well, my thoughts on this. Um, uh, my my thought my thoughts on uh, the necessity of the moral question it, uh, has to do with this. Um, if something is to be done, um, I generally think of I generally think of what can be done in two different categories. Uh, what can be done in your personal life, um, and what can be done uh, on the on the on the world stage? You know, just uh, in in the world in general. And um, in my opinion, um, on the world stage, if anything is going to be done, it's going to take revolutionary action. And um, I think it's been observed by many different people that morality acts as a break to an effective revolutionary movement. Um, at least there's going to come a certain time in, in every revolutionary moment where uh, conventional morality is going to have to be broken with. Um, and uh, obviously, um, obviously different people with uh, different spiritual value systems, uh, you know, uh, might, might, might find major conflict there in, in breaking with conventional morality. Um, but that's, that, that's not necessarily what we're here to talk about. There's just something that I wanted to preface the conversation with. Because it's something that I've been struggling with in, in my own mind uh, in the past few months. So just for the record, anything that we, uh, is spoken about uh, hypothetically is uh, is fair game. Um, there is there's nothing that can be done uh, legally by anybody um, so long as you use the words hypothetically. So if we're talking about a hypothetical situation, um, what could be done? in this hypothetical uh this is not a a legal le this legally speaking is yeah. not a call for violence just for the record for anybody listening or anybody for you or penguin or normandy um so anything if you're nervous about talking about something just use the word hypothetical in front of it and we should all be fine we're just talking about uh, what we're going to do in our minecraft server this no. <laughs> oh man i was uh, i was just unmuting to say that <laughs> um but uh, anyway, first of all, we need uh, it's talking about what can be done uh, on the world stage. I think, first of all, hypothetically, if we're just talking about a purely hypothetical situation, I'm going to hypothesize this, uh, that first we need to break with the illusion that there are political solutions to human problems, at least. Uh, I mean, maybe that's the case on the local level and with small and significant things, but there's not going to be political solutions to our gigantic world industrial problem. Um, this uh, this is not going to be something that you're going to be able to go to the top levels of government and then use your power to fix or vote in people who can fix it. It's the, or or uh, or nominate a king uh, who can fix it over his kingdom. It's not going to work that way. Um, this is a this is a very material problem, um, and it takes a very material solution. Um, and what that's what that um, is essentially going to entail is uh, the destruction of material infrastructure. Uh, and hypothetically, if uh, if something were to be done um, to to help the industrial system uh, or to save the world from um, from the inevitable destruction of the industrial system, hypothetically, what would have to be done is is some kind of coordinated, um, mostly global effort um, that would target um, that would target two things. First, industrial production infrastructure and second, energy production infrastructure. Um, and so just. The first one, just the workings of uh, the mechanical workings of the industrial system, steel plants and and places that manufacture things and parts and and uh, and wires and all that. And second is the 
is the plants that uh, excavate the coal and and uh, and collect the solar energy and uh, and uh, drill for the oil. All these things that are 100% uh, required. Uh, it's it's been said uh, a couple of years ago there was a congressional report by some federal body that said if only 11 United States uh, power substations were knocked out, it would knock out the electricity for the United States for 18 months or more. Um, and so the uh, the system is actually quite fragile, although it is large and mighty and uh, and monstrous. Uh, it's actually very uh, heavily interconnected uh, and its components are very uh, intermingled and interdependent upon each other. And the destruction of major components will um, ultimately result in the destruction of other components. Although that's not to say that you can just um, destroy, hypothetically destroy one um, piece, physical piece of infrastructure, or even a few pieces of physical infrastructure and solve the problem by a domino effect. Um, but it's going to, like I said, take a concerted and um, pretty organized uh, and mostly global effort of uh, the destruction of physical infrastructure. So there's two ways to look at it, I think, Strate at least strategically speaking. There's what uh, you've just described, which I would say is negating what is. So you're tearing down what already exists. But I think um, there's another strategy that could also either work in conjunction with that or um, possibly stand alone. And that is to build yeah. something new within the shell of the old. Yeah, sorry, I forget that I'm speaking. Uh, I'm speaking of the premise. Uh, I was just take. I was just acting as if the premise uh, was a given that the industrial system is not salvageable, or that you cannot salvage the good parts of technology and separate them from the bad parts of technology and do something with that. That's the premise that I'm starting from. Oh um, no, and, I don't. I don't necessarily mean that. I mean that we can build a whole new world. Oh yeah, well that's. Um, so like, there's a there's a there's tearing down, but then yeah. there's also like building new. Okay. And I think these are equally valuable strategies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And not just like, um, so you talked to, and I mean that on a world stage, not just in your individual life, but we could build whole new communities of that, that do things a diff completely different way. Yeah. Um, while, you know, it, it, things are being torn down at the same time. And I yeah. think that, I think this would actually ease any kind of transition from what the system that we currently have to another system as well. Because yeah. if you just if you just take everybody's power away, they're just going to clamor for security. Yeah, right. I, yeah. Possibly I'm not sure build to the system end. over again. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not sure to what end we're we're like. I mean, why why do we even need to tear down? Well, why do we need to tear down before? Well, yeah, basically what you're saying why do we need to tear down before we build up. Why do we even need to tear? Well, this uh, is an initial step because I think well, one thing I, you know. That, that could be uh, a, a calamity various sorry about that calamity for, for, for you know for all sorts of reasons but again I, I also I think you know you can build up quite a lot before I think or without being I don't know stopped or prevented to do so and with without kind of build the building up I don't know to what end um, 
anything should be torn down. I mean, at least from my perspective. Yeah, uh, and I that's a very uh, I I completely understand the perspective of things don't need to be torn down. And I did not mean to uh, by starting the conversation with talking about that destruction. I did not mean to say that chronologically things need to be taken in the order of destroy everything and then uh, build something new. Uh, of course, people need to be um, prepared and already living um, the way that they plan to live without the industrial system before any of that starts. At least the people who plan to live after it. Um, and so, um, but uh, to answer your question about. Um, or, or to, to just address the um, uh, the idea of uh, that the that the that you know we're not sure if things do need to be done. Um, this I, I don't think this is something that um, we could resolve. Uh, I mean, we definitely could resolve it in conversation. It would just take a it would just take a long time. Um, but the the premise that I'm starting from, um, which is the one that you're taking issue with, is that the industrial system is not salvageable uh, and it will inevitably destroy itself. Um, and it needs to be destroyed uh, in a um, in a in a timely manner, or or else it will uh, <laughs> or else it will run away from us, and we won't be able to do anything about it. And I'm starting from that premise because I um, buy into uh, the uh, the philosophy of particularly Jacques Ellul and uh, uh, Ted Kaczynski, um, uh, which is not to say that I agree with 100% of everything um, I, the, either of those two have ever said. Um, but their fundamental uh, philosophy about the industrial system, uh, I definitely uh, uh, I definitely think it's uh, it's true. And so that's the premise that I'm starting from. Um, and, uh, and I, and I perfectly understand, um, <laughs> I perfectly understand the hesitation about, uh, wait, what, uh, I'm not exactly sure if the industrial system is, we need to just throw it away. Um, so. Yeah. But also keep in mind that I'm not necessarily someone who necessarily thinks of like frames things in, in terms of in the industrial system too. So it, it's kind of also like I'm, I'm talking to someone who has a, a different frame and just like if I was talking to someone who's like uh, a liberal or a Marxist or, or whatever, like it's yeah. not necessarily that it's so, someone on a different, different, uh, a different place on the spectrum, but that it's someone with a different framing, like a libertarian versus a Marxist are going to have, you know, with, with some overlap, they're going to have like different framings of what they're kind of the yeah. lens of seeing the world through. So yeah, I mean, you're obviously seeing the world through, through industrialization as like the main thing that you're focused on. So I mean, you know, yeah, it, it, it is kind of trying, we have to go parse, I have to parse you and you would have to parse me if I was kind of if the roles reverse yeah absolutely um and uh and uh just for clarification i'm, I'm coming uh i'm actually i actually used to be a marxist um and i'm and, I, and i've come out of uh that school of thought but that's uh uh but yes i i absolutely understand what you mean about um we're uh different worldviews we're approaching with different worldviews yeah, because I mean, I, I definitely have like a problem like you know i i obviously on this podcast have take issues with the system we can say broadly to try to kind of you know contain both of our ideas but i'm not sure that for example with me that i necessarily say it's industrialization per se but i'm interested in in your um idea this industrialization per se like for me i i don't know i think that it could be uh in some respects capital in some respects um decentralized state and uh, so it's actually really interesting to kind of take this argument but but kind of center it on you know industrial technology per se yeah and uh, i greatly sympathize with with the idea that um that money is at the root of it and that class differences are um at the root of it but ultimately i don't agree i think it has much more to do with uh with uh 
uh, with uh, humans uh, in, in an animal sense uh, being taken out of their natural milieu and uh, driven insane by an inhuman world. Um, uh, and I, I think that I think that even if you had fully automated luxury gay space communism um, or whatever, people would ultimately be unfulfilled and, and driven insane um, because they don't have anything fulfilling to do but uh, consume and, uh, and work. That's that's entirely possible. Yeah, there is there's some that I certainly think there's on some level some ideas like, for example, when people do essentially a, a more realistic version of that, like when people do uh, propose like a, a welfare state to kind of make make up the you know cost of living and to raise the standard of living for the working class instead of giving them like fulfilling jobs and autonomy and, 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 and economic liberty and stuff yeah. um, is the case. It's it's that's and that's a more kind of, uh, I think, tangible example that we can see is like they know that's not what they're really seeking and that's not going to satisfy them. And it doesn't historically satisfy them. So, I mean, that's totally a thing Like we do have a drive to build and and, and do fulfilling things, basically, like you said, that's entirely true. Um, so I'm not other than you and having interviewed you, I'm not terribly like um, you know, except on like the vulgar level, like oh, Tzinsky tear down the you know tear down the power lines and everything. I'm not like super familiar with um, besides like our previous interview, like different um, works and authors. And I know you mentioned you know, Kaczynski and stuff, but where where kind of what's the historical? Like, where do these ideas actually come from? Um, kind of, can you kind of trace back your anti-industrial ideas does some of this come from marx yeah marx by the way is um, well well no this uh, this does not come from marx you see the the crucial distinction is that marx sees um uh, uh well all of this comes from the 19th century and it does come from around the time of marx but um people were noticing in the 19th century that uh, hey wait a minute the world's changing very quickly um and we're having uh it's getting pretty scary you know and uh so uh Marx saw um, technique and the technological system as uh, as a as a tool for the working class to achieve liberation and uh, the workers' paradise and all that, you know. Um, and but there were other people, um, uh, and they were referred to as luddites. Uh, uh, and this wasn't necessarily a um, a a large uh, a large entrenched movement like Marxism was. Um, but um, there were uh, there were many uh, luddites. Uh, uh, Luddites actually started uh, a little bit before um, socialism and Marxism, particularly in the Americas uh, in the late 18th century. Um, it was textile workers who protested the, the use of new mills and, st and stuff like that, replacing their, their jobs. You know, they were uh, they were working a fabric and, and these, you know, essentially these machines came in and they, uh, they said, hey, we got these machines that do them better. So you guys just, I don't know, you know, this trade that you've built your entire life, just go figure something out. Or something else out essentially, uh, and the Luddites were uh, essentially uh, protesting this, uh, what they saw as a as an infringement on their dignity as people. Um, uh, but um, that, like I said, that wasn't a organized or uh, necessarily entrenched movement. And there were different um, Luddite authors, you know, throughout the nineteenth century who talked about different things. Um, but no one, no one had ever truly put together a, a corpus of uh, of thinking on the technological system until Elul. Now, there was one writer before Elul um, in the early 1900s, um, and his, his name escapes me at the moment, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I do recall there being uh, a, a, an at least significant notable predecessor to Elul in developing the thought of Luddism. Um, but Elul is where um, the, the backbone uh, of thought on the technological system is, is, is essentially. When was Elul uh, yeah. writing? 
What year was this? Uh, well, Alul uh, published the technological system in, I think, 1956, I believe. Um, okay. But he had been writing um, in the previous decade and then the following decade as well. I mean, I would assume they kind of uh, draw from maybe Thoreau and some of the transcendentalists as well, no? Um, I, I'm, I'm not At exactly... the starting point, you know? Um, well, well, Thoreau, Thoreau, and those sort of people were um, were sort of uh, living living the life. Or, <laughs> well, there's a debate whether Thoreau was really living the lifestyle, but th those people were sort of living the lifestyle without ha having um, without having thought about you know why uh, or without having um, really you know fermented a uh, a complex you know system of thought on why you know I mean I I'm sure these people had you know good ideas on you know uh, why they're uh, living unconventionally or closer to nature um, but uh, yeah certainly I mean certainly certainly these people were um, influences I'm, I'm not exactly sure um, to what extent in a um, in an actual philosophical sense you know uh, to do with uh, philosophical thought on the technological system, but oh, it was pretty much uh, so. It was very rudimentary. It was not a complex opus, but yeah. uh, essentially, uh, living in the city and with all this stuff, you can't be free. You can only be free when you're out in the the sticks and you can kind of do what you want and be naked and whatever you want to do. <laughs> so that was that's basically you know that's that's good you know, but that's uh, a very you know a very simple. A, uh, a simple layout of the same idea yeah. and you know uh, it was very poetic you know but uh, it wasn't a um, it wasn't a, a giant theorem you know yeah um, so uh, let me nail something down so I agree with you probably about 80% of the way my only thing is I go back and forth on whether this is in the in an innate uh, property of technology itself. Yeah, um, I think it is a possibly a combination. I, I I agree with your critiques of the industrial society. I just wonder how much of it is uh, a combination of factors such as capital, the state, and the industrial system. Um, I wonder if technological advancement ha could have gone a step. Uh, uh, I don't think it's a, an, an inherent um, problem with technology itself. Technolo uh, technological advancement could have possibly went a different way had we had been free to our own devices yeah. and to free to forge our own futures as opposed to being a, a, being a very top-down um, centralized and controlled yeah. society for the past 500 years, you know? Yeah. So what do, well, what do you what do you have a problem with technology? Do you think it is innate to technology or something yeah. else? Um, well, let's think about this. Um, there, you're saying you you're not exactly sure if there's a, an inherent characterology or an inherent like internal governing rules of technology that would be replicated no matter what time the technological system came about or what people were you know participating in it. Yes, um, I'm very anti-essentialist in that way. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, let's think about let's think about what the purpose of using technology is. Um, technology uh, is essentially a physical um, implement or physical medium between man and reality. Um, and mm -hmm. the the object of technique is to find the one most efficient way to accomplish something. Um, and uh, over time, uh, techniques and pieces of technology um, that were outshone um, by the development of their successors are done away with um, in order to. Um, have the thing which uh, accomplishes the task in the most efficient way possible, um, mm -hmm. and this is uh, this is this is a this is a 
uh, this is a sort of uh, rule of the use of technique that is, uh, you know, whether or not uh, men want to or not, uh, they they do obey it for whatever reason. Uh, and the reason the reason being, I don't think necessarily has to do with uh, with capitalism versus communism, because uh, because l like I just said, I, I don't think you hear I was speaking to Penguin. Um, Marx saw technology as um, as uh, as human humanity's path to savior the work, working class path, path to savior yeah he loves industrialization yeah. yeah yeah and it's not just and it's not just capitalist nations who who just feverishly pursue technical development in fact um communist nations uh, absolutely feverishly pursue technical development the soviet union was uh was um Famous for that, yeah, yeah. Famous for for its for its technical ensemble, um, and so uh, and capitalism. There's many people, including Alul, who think that capitalism is holding back technical development, um, and that uh, and so I don't I think that to be true as well. Well, it depends on what you mean. So uh, currently, under capitalism, we have like sort of growth for the sake of growth, right? Yeah. We just go pump out more units, more commodities, more whatever. But uh, it, in some ways, it is holding back technology that could possibly benefit the human condition yes absolutely at, at, at the expense uh you know at the expense of marriage it's it's holding that back so it can pump out more artificial uh, economic rents more yeah. growth more for the shareholders while we suffer yeah it could be it could be very different it could be vastly different like we could use technology more efficiently to better our um our individual lives in the lives of our community and have more leisure time, um, all of these things. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be this way, you know? Yeah. Well, I think you're approaching this issue thinking, um, not necessarily thinking this exactly verbatim in your mind, but think, uh, but approaching it with some kind of premise, like that man is the one who is steering his ship and that man is steering his ship through the ocean, uh, or, or, you know, wherever he's steering his ship through. And that man is, man is ultimately the one who, if, if not, if not always playing 100% of the deciding role is at least playing a very significant deciding role in the, in the development of his own societies. Um, or the development of human society, uh, and I would uh, I would argue, uh, and this is not my original thought, um, but I would argue that um, man is uh, man does not actually have that sort of control over human societies. Uh, the development of human society follows mostly pre-existing historical trends, and sometimes human action uh, aligns with those pre-existing historical trends. And we say that man has made it success, but I forget who it was. Um, some sort of a uh, some Spanish author. Um, from the, I think, 15th or 16th century, but he, he said something along the lines of, I am continually amazed by how by how uh, history laughs in the face of man's plans. Um, and this is not exactly an idea that I can wholly convince you of in this uh, hour or two conversation. No, I already um, agree with you. Yes. No. I, already, okay. I don't think we have, I don't think we have control of this society at all. And I'm what I'm saying is that we, we don't. We are always chasing the... Um, the, the trends, the new commodity, the new rat race. We, we keep up with the Joneses, the new technology, the new iPhone, the new piece of shit plastic that, that somebody just shit out and is the new trend today, the yeah. culture, the norms. What I'm saying is that we could. We could steer our own um, society, our own lives, our own communities. We could very well do that, and we could use technology in conjunction with this in a very healthy and positive way. Um, we just are not doing that now. I don't believe we are steering any kind of fucking ship right now. It's a runaway yeah. train. I, I agree. I entirely agree with you. I'm just saying the possibility is that we could, um, given different variables. Yeah. Um, 
Well, uh, well, on that point, um, I'll, I suppose I'll, I'll just disagree with you because I, I, I don't think that humans uh, can steer their society in an, an intentional way and, uh, and just think of, think of, you know, even if they were perfectly organized in a, in a global manner with extreme technical efficiency, uh, I don't think that they'd be able to say, you know, just think of things and enact them and, and make them stick in the long term historically, you know. Um, okay, thing- that kind of makes sense. It does because I don't think we can intentionally, at least I don't think we can intentionally kind of manifest something, you know, in a, in a centralized or decentralized fashion. I, we, we manifest something, but it's not what we, it's not necessarily what we imagine or intend or can possibly understand. That's yeah. not necessarily what I mean. I don't mean that we and like we and make this giant plan and we intend to go do X Y Z thing. I just think that absent certain incentives that are exist in the, our current system. We would, uh, the, the uh, people would generally choose things that benefit them more so and benefit their communities and, uh, interact with technology in a certain way. Like, how much of our technological society is just due to IP and economic rents? How much of the technological advancement is just, is just for that? You know what I mean? Like, so what if we just eliminated that? What would people's incentives be then? You know what I mean? Like, so we just, I'm not talking about like some sort of like uh, intentionally planned communities and and that sort of thing. I'm just saying that the shift would be, uh, the incentives would be different and people would shift in a general trend just towards something different. Uh, I guess that's kind of a a distinction I was trying to make. But anyway, sorry. We can all just just agree on this and go to something else. I'm fine with that, too. Well, um, for the people who are listening to this, um, if you you haven't made your uh, mind up on this, um, I'm sure there's many other things that you can read on it. Um, But I'm going to recommend uh, the relevant reading that's informing my opinion of this. Um, And specifically about humans not being able to control their own societies. That would be... Um, chapter one of Anti-Tech Revolution, Why and How by Theodore Kaczynski. Uh, and the rest of the book is, um, the rest of the book, you know, elaborates on that. Uh, and that's relevant to it. But um, the second would be whether or not tech, tech, the technological system has its own, um, you know, internal governing rules and that it would, you know, it's got its own characterology, essentially. Um, and uh, you, if if you're not sure about that, I think that Alul very, very convincingly demonstrates that in um well, throughout the entire book of the, the, the technological society, but specifically, um, I think it's chapter two, the tech, the characterology of technique. And there's a subheader called uh, uh, autonomy of technique. Something along those lines is where you should read. Hey, Zach here. I wanted to introduce you guys to Appalachian Apothecary. That is, uh, that's my lady. Um, she makes a boatload of tinctures, salves. Uh, medicines, um, some uh, libations, um, all all very good, all from stuff we grew here at the homestead, um, and she knows what she's doing, she's a wizard, um, you, you may have heard her on the chemistry episode, but uh, if you're interested in any of that, um, go ahead and touch base with me um, at secmagora on telegram s-e-k-m-c-g-o-r-a all one word all caps or you can find us in the uh, agora podcast discord telegram or find us on twitter at agora underscore pod thanks bye yeah i started reading uh, a lule and i i'm pretty familiar with Kaczynski but yeah a little is a swamp to get through sometimes it's a slow slog for sure yeah yeah, yeah. It, I, 
if you can get past the first like 25 pages, it gets better after that. But it, I mean, it's still it's still a very uh, heavy intellectual uh, gauntlet to go through. I probably made it there. I reread it a couple of times and yeah. then I put it down again. But, um, you know, I reread the first, you know, a couple, a little bit. And then I, I sat down and I had to reread it again. And it was, it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a chore. You got to oh. chew that one for sure. Yeah, no, it, it took me, it took me like four or five tries to get through the book all the way. I think I stopped a third of the way through the first time, halfway through the second time. I got like three fourths of the way through the, the third time. Uh, and eventually I made it all the way through. Yeah, it's it's dense for sure. Yeah. But um, well, so on the other hand, so I think that was what your suggested reading to me last time we, uh, you were on the podcast, and I think I suggested reading Community Technology by Carl Hess. Have you looked at that at all? I did. Uh, I did uh, some uh, some level of investigation into that. I don't think I read uh, the entire work, but I definitely pulled up the work in a PDF form because I have it downloaded on my computer somewhere. Uh, I definitely, I definitely, uh, you know, investigated the perimeter of the idea at least. Um, but it's I very, it's very like uh, municipalist and and very, um, I guess, in terms of production, very distributivist. Um, yeah, yeah, very, very. Um, you know, decentralized and local production and yeah. community. If if I recall, he was um, similar in thought to a fellow named Murray Bookchin. Yes, very Bookchin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a slightly just, more market-oriented Bookchin, basically. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I know, but that's been on my list. Of, but um, yeah, I mean, Carl has just for everyone for from you normally. I mean, he wanted to go so far as to like, well, you know, not so in the immediate sense. He was like uh, experimenting with uh, taking old refrigerators and other things and creating like uh, basement um, uh, fish farms, tilapia farms with with water uh, circulating and everything for for the efficient you know you know generation of protein that could be done. in in other different other ways but he's in the city out of morgan washington dc so he's imagining solar power is becoming more mature unfortunately they didn't that technology didn't mature too fast but you know ripping up going so far as to ripping yeah. up the road he fantasizing about ripping up the roads getting rid of the uh, you know most automobiles and uh planting gardens and and, and crops where the, where the roads and and highways and such what's were so um you know that's that's kind of where he was at just as an example um yeah, so, I think you'd yeah. actually dig a lot of it. I mean, um, it's, I'm sure I would. It's a fun time. Um, the, they the were only... friends, though, Hess and Bookchin. They were, they were pretty oh, good friends. Yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah, okay. You see, the, the most fundamental problem that I have with um, the sort of local technology type people uh, and, um, like, you know, Bookchin types is that um, that's fine. I, I think I think it's great to uh, uh, localization of any form is, is fine. Um, however, that's not that's not a um, <laughs> that's not a world solution like. Um, a, a village of people can't, um, you know, I mean, you can you can use a refrigerator to make this or that, but a, a community, a village of people on their own without a gigantic organized industrial system outside of them uh, making repair parts and all that and, and capturing xenon gas or whatever uh, is not able to uh, they're not eventually the parts in the refrigerator are going to degrade and they're not going to be able to uh, do metal urgy and uh, or the metal and and create a, uh, a refrigerator, you know, out of out of their own, even if they had all the manuals and the books and everything teaching them how to do it, uh, they would not be able to do it. Uh, there was a fellow uh, on, on YouTube who tried to do something uh, similar to this, like making a refrigerator, uh, doing metallurgy and, and all that with the manuals. And it, and it turned out completely horribly, but I'm not using the YouTube videos proof. I just wanted uh, to mention that because it came to my mind. Uh, but so like one village couldn't, but a world 
so you're saying that this is not a um like a scalable strategy so yeah like, so like one village probably couldn't but a world of villages could uh yeah but I mean? yeah but yeah but uh then then uh, Art- i don't i don't see too much of a meaningful difference between a world of villages and uh i i, I if, if it was going to be a world of villages that were capable of uh manufacturing industrial parts to repair refrigerators it might as well just be a world of cities because that's what it'd have to be i think well i don't you know that's that's a good point though uh i don't know if a world of world of villages could do that some of these things i mean to be honest with you i mean uh at, at the very best, like the closest to what Sek is saying, that the, the nature of technology, and I think this is a kind of implicitly acknowledged by all these people. This is implicitly acknowledged by uh, Carson when he's talking about, uh, you know, like replicable machines and, and localized production and stuff. Like the very nature of all of all these techs, technologies would have to change. And without, um, so here's. Here's where I'm, I'm. I'm not with you on the on the entire premise, but as far as like this conversation is concerned, like without like large scale resource extraction, like uh, mining of you know major ores and also like rare earth minerals and stuff to make the electronic components, and large scale just logging and various resource extraction, um, I. I don't know if technology in, in like industrial technology as we know it could exist. Um, I don't know if necessarily those things are bad, but they take like a huge amount of capital and coordination. And I don't know if they're um, like, I don't, I don't know this distributed world or a stateless world is going to have that kind of infrastructure. So I don't know, and I, I don't know if I'm going to say like destroy technology, technology, or industrial technology, but um, I don't know how fundamental we're going with technology. But I think the very like, the very basic state of or the basic I don't know, qualities of technology would have to be so fundamentally changed um, without those you know the large scale extractions. And I'm just talking about huge yeah. capital intensive industries. Yeah. Uh, either either the technology would have to be fundamentally changed or what would be much more likely to happen would be that um, humans would be fundamentally changed in order to accommodate the, the necessities of the system. But um, this what we're talking about, um, this connects to uh, this is the problem. I think this is a very fundamental problem that hardly anyone talks about. Uh, and I think that it completely uh, invalidates the concept of um anarcho-communism or anarcho-capitalism is that uh, anarchism is uh, is a you know, stripping uh, stripping down of the hierarchy. Um, and, uh, well, communism and capitalism are both industrial systems, and industrial production requires a uh, an insane amount of organization and hierarchy uh, and, and, you know, a coordination of, of production. And you certainly uh, could not have uh, tribes of, of communists uh, getting, uh, organizing uh, factories or tribes of capitalists uh, in an anarchic, uh, anarchist world uh, organizing industrial production it takes it takes so many scores and legions of men to to do like i said the oaring and the and the metallurgy and and uh the industrial factories and, and all that um and so uh the very the very economic like uh, i think if uh, anarcho-communists or an anarcho-capitalists want to have their and this or their and that 
um, of which I, I think that's a, a good thing to want generally, but um, that they would have to give up industrial communism or industrial capitalism. And in that case, you would just be giving up communism and capitalism because communism is not communism without industrialism, nor is capitalism capitalism without industrial. I mean, capitalism started, you know, improper before industrialism. Um, but uh, but the the uh, the the motivating forces of capitalism are going to lead to technical development. Um, so um, you're. Uh, I'll, I'll stop. I'll, I'll rest the idea there. So let's let's go back to um, we could go back and forth all day about sort of uh, the in, innate nature, and this is sort of less. It's it's fun mental exercise, but um, I let's go back to what is to be done. So I think, like I said, everybody listening, including. Uh, me, you, and Penguin, we all have huge problems with the system that we have. And to varying degrees, we probably all agree on on um, this system is not beneficial to humans or the planet or to probably the solar system. So um, where was I going? Oh, what is to be done, I guess? And you started with that, uh, you know, um, large-scale industrial sabotage, etc., I think we all find that this system is unreliable at best and possibly teetering towards collapse at worst. Um, what can people do to um, cushion themselves in this transition that uh, is is coming to one degree of ine inevitability or another? Yeah. Um, go ahead. Well, we sort of uh, we sort of talked about this uh, a little bit last time. Uh, we should talk about this again. Uh, what people can do to uh, to to cushion what is uh, what what I believe is definitely coming. And uh, give me one sec. Let me cough. <coughs> anyway, um, but yeah, aside aside from what can be done for the world and on the world stage, we turn our attention to what people can do in their personal lives. Um, which is what, uh, which is, I think, what your primary focus should be anyway, uh, is what you should do in your personal life. Um, and, you know, it's very easy to say, well, you just need to go buy land in the country and start uh, homesteading. Um, and uh, ultimately, ultimately, it, uh, it does <laughs> sort of boil down to that. Uh, at least that's a big part of it. Um, but uh, what needs to be done is, uh, is your, uh, essentially, uh, you need to you need to find a way to emancipate yourself um, from utter dependence, and that doesn't mean that you need to necessarily stop using the grocery store forever. At, you know, immediately at the moment, um, but you need to develop the skills um, to survive and to take care of yourself. And I divide these into two categories: that being um, stationary skills, um, if you're living in a sedentary manner, and uh, nomadic skills, if you're having to be on the move. And, and your stationary skills are going to be your agriculture and your and your livestock husbandry and your home homesteading and uh and you know your uh, uh uh things that you do on the on the homestead living uh in a stationary manner um and the second category is going to be uh things you things that you need to know how to do if you're going if you're going to be forced out of your sedentary lifestyle and you and you have to be on the move um and this is primarily uh and there's a quite a bit of overlap between these two different skill sets like for example hunting and fishing are definitely both things that you need to do in a, in a sedentary and a nomadic um, sense but in a nomadic sense um or in a moving sense you have to uh uh the, the, mo the most important um idea is uh uh 
the entire corpus of, of bush bushcrafting skills and survival skills um, and uh, not necessarily uh, not necessarily all the super typical ones like you'll see um, like fellows like Dave Canterbury like I love Dave Canterbury um, and he's and he's and he's a great um, he's he's a great teacher of, of a great many things um, but uh, Dave, uh, Dave Canterbury definitely needs to be in your tool set or people like Dave Canterbury. Um, but, uh, but Dave Canterbury is a fellow who, uh, doesn't necessarily, uh, anticipate long-term industrial collapse. He, he thinks about survival sense in, in a surviving in the modern world in situations where you have to survive. And there's always going to be an industrial system there to give you, you know, if you need to go get a hatchet or something from a store, you know, you can do that. Um, but you, uh, you definitely need to develop the survival skills to, uh, to make a substitute for a hatchet when you don't have metal. Uh, and you know, there, there are people who uh, go really into primitive survival, like there's a whole YouTube market for it. You know, that's very lucrative, good for those fellows. Um, but, uh, uh, but you, you definitely need to have a, a blend of both of those, uh, a blend of, uh, how to, how to, how to survive with, uh, with metal tools and implements and stuff like that. And, um, and and how to make do um but that's not to say that once the industrial system collapsed you're not going to have metal because there's going to be scrap metal lying around for, for for a thousand years you know people are definitely going to have access to metal for a long time um but uh yes uh i think that uh the two the two categories you broke that down to down in is very useful the basically mobility versus stationary and um it's good to learn both, yeah, in case, because just Absolutely. because you're stationary now doesn't mean you necessarily uh, will be able to forever um, for one reason or another. I mean, it could be as simple as, I don't know, earthquakes or um, uh, pestilence, droughts, yeah, pestilence, uh, famine, anything like that. Um, so it's good to um, be mobile. So all of what you described, though, is... Um, sort of a, still a um, a rural setting, right? Yeah. And something I've been trying to do recently is because, okay, so like 80% of people live in cities. Indeed. So is there any potential strategies, do you think, for um, cushioning yourself from a collapse in the event that you live in a city and besides move to the country, right? Because yeah. some people just can't for whatever reason. Well, there definitely are strategies if you uh, if you want your final resting resting place to be a gigantic metal coffin. I'm just kidding. Um, and in 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 realistic uh, talking realistically, uh, yes, there's definitely things you can do to uh, cushion yourself in the city. Um, but what what it what it really boils down to is pretending you're in the country and just make and just you know accommodating yourself around all the cars and buildings around you. Um, and so, yes, you definitely, you definitely can do things, uh, in the city, but I don't think that once collapse happens, people are going to be sticking around in the cities and once collapse is approaching or while collapse is approaching, um, anyone, anyone with a right mind is going to be doing everything that they can to get out of the city. Um, so yes, um, if you, if you're stuck in the city, there's definitely things that you can do. Um, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't plan on staying there, um, forever at least. I would imagine the scavenging is probably better in the city. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. I'm, I kind of, uh, Abby Hoffman's, uh, steal this book kind of comes to mind where you can kind yeah. of make your way through. I mean, yes, I, I for me, <laughs> I can't live in a city anyway, but Nor my goal, at all, I mean, I just re I don't mean I can't, I mean, I refuse to do so. Yeah. Um, but my end goal would also be to in that, 
in the event of a collapse or an economic downturn or anything of that sort, even war, my move would be to get out of the city as well. But I think there is a, probably an abundance of uh, discarded resources that you could probably make use of on your way out. Um, probably yeah. more so than you would even find in a rural area that wasn't heavily guarded. Yeah, but um, you there'll be uh, there'll probably be millions of people there competing for it uh, in very violent and uh, also true. And brutish yeah. manner. Uh, you're putting yourself at a great deal of risk scavenging in the city. I think you know. Uh, just just thinking. Uh, I mean, um, I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to shoot down um, you know everything that you say or anything because I, I definitely think that thinking about what you'll what you'll be doing in an urban setting is very important. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't mean to be like, oh, well, we don't even need to think about that because fuck cities, you know. Excuse right, me. and the, and honestly, um, that the reason I'm bringing this up is is I'm trying to change my own sort of the way I talk about this because a long, a lot, a lot of time is a lot. Sorry, excuse me. A lot for a long time, my view was fucking get out of the city. So, but that's not necessarily realistic for every human. I mean, um, some people are stuck. And a lot of people still live in the city and we can't, you know, in our spaces, we can't just be like, well, fuck them, you know? So yeah. we have to like kind of at least, uh, you know, get people uh, start thinking about what people can do in that situation. Um, especially, yeah. especially as we have these conversations because very few people actually live in rural areas. Yeah. Well, if you're yeah. in, well, there's a lot of space. I just want to say there's a lot of spaces. I mean, I live in a city, so there's a lot of spaces, and I'm, I'm also keenly aware of this. I mean, I see I see a lot of places in my day to day life, and there's a lot of space out there, and there's a lot of space, and even like individual houses and stuff. You know, there's there's lawns and different areas, but you know, so people have residences, and then they have places that they go, businesses, schools, uh, large, you know places like that, but they don't occupy those things all at the same time. And there's also a lot of empty, lots of abandoned places, just places that are undeveloped parks. Parks also, um, which are intentionally that way. So, you know, it, it, it kind of depends. Are we talking about like Midtown Manhattan here, or are we talking, which actually, I mean, there is this thing as Central Park, but I don't really don't think that kind of level of urban density is really, you know, that's on the higher end on the extreme level but as far as a lot of cities and um you know based on like proximity to places that are less um dense but most most urban areas aren't so extremely dense at least not maybe some of the oldest cities uh but most places aren't so extremely dense that i think there's no way to um in an emergent situation, in an emergent situation, I don't think there's necessarily such an extreme lack of like space or land or like, you know, just areas in which to, if, um, if we just disregard, disregard the human factor for a moment, and that's obviously a huge one that I mean, you brought up, I don't think there's necessarily a complete lack of space for some level of survival if a bunch of people are getting the hell out of Dodge in that case. Yeah, there's definitely a there's definitely a lot of cities uh, that you know only have like fifty to two hundred thousand people that are not going to be these gigantic metropolises with millions of people pouring out of them. Uh, you know, whenever whenever some sort of collapse happens, um, but but I think that the problems um, in in a rural or in a in an urban area sort of scale down um, to smaller cities. But I'm not exactly sure when the threshold is that uh you know that you could start being like okay well the city's small enough that you know we don't um 
you know, that maybe, maybe we can chill here or whatever, you know, I'm not exactly sure what that threshold is. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, we're, we're at that point, you're, you're trying to define, you know, what is a city and, and what is not a city when you're talking about. I know there's small. a lot of, there's a lot of cities that I wouldn't even call a city. Like the next town over from me is like technically a city, Yeah, but it's all rural. It's just, yeah. it's just a really big area. You know what I mean? So it's uh, they have a little downtown area, but mm -hmm. there's no there's no like tall buildings, and it's mostly <laughs> it's mostly farmland. You know, so I yeah, know. I live around a ton of those. Yeah. yeah. So it's the the idea, I mean the the label city is kind of weird because it's like, yeah, what do you mean, yeah. right? But um, I suppose we're just we we were discussing uh, metropolises mostly, primarily like Atlanta, New York, sure. Los Angeles, and that sort yeah. of thing. Bigger cities, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't live in a city that big. So, yeah, so I guess on the extreme end, you get, I mean, think about it. So you're getting you're getting into such incredible densities in, in, the, in, in the interior of these cities and so being so far away. So, so you're, you're so, I don't know what the word is, you're so, like, far into the interior that you're so, you're, the distance to um, yeah. open, more open areas or areas of, of like, concentric, rings of less and less density yeah they're so far from that that no if you're at the center of these metropolises now if you're at turning the on the outside it's a different situation but yeah that's kind of hopeless but i'm like i mean from where i am right now not only is there just i can think of because I, I live here so i'm pretty familiar with the area it's like a lot of open space a lot of and a lot of proximity to open space so yeah my thing well, is uh, it, it depends how how fast is this coming on because if the if the Population density, if a bunch of people that can have the resources or the possibility or the foresight to get out and, and um, you know, things kind of take on this emergent quality of, like, people having an idea to um, start reacting to this situation. I mean, there's farmland not too far from here. People can do what they got to do. Um, if if a bunch of people were doing a bunch of different things and and, and – in reaction to the situation day by day, I think there is a possibility or a chance. But if it's a uh, snap your fingers, you know, grid down for whatever situation, I think you get you end up with the entirely different scenario than um, having months or even years, but yeah, months or even weeks or weeks or even months to um, respond to react. Well, um, I'll, I'll just say you say that there's a uh, you say that there's a great deal of space in your city at the moment. But uh, if it is a happening place, then uh, it will be developed over eventually in the coming decades. And if it's not a happening place, then it'll either um, it'll either die or become a sleepy town. You know, I like sleepy towns, um, but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold out hope for those uh, green fields or whatever you see between the buildings and all the farmland. Uh, all the I mean, I live I live out here away from any big city. And every day I see a piece of farmland that goes up for sale. So a subdivision can come and be developed on it. Uh, development is happening uh, at a at an incredibly rapid pace. And so in the future, um, urban areas will become more urban and uh, more condensed. Um, but yeah, uh, for for yeah. For, pe for people who are in these uh, cities, uh, I believe, uh, like I believe, uh, of course, you should. I mean, anyone, regardless of their situation, should uh, cultivate homes homesteading and bushcraft survival skills. But for people in the city, the bushcraft survival skill is going to be particularly important, especially for people in the city who don't have the resources to uh, buy land, which uh, buying land is getting harder and harder. The powers that be are trying to uh, basically turn us into a into a world of serfs who rent, you know, for our, our whole lives. And they're trying to uh, 
you know, I, I would, I, I think that, you know, people would like to even abolish, uh, or at least, you know, people owning like property of land, because that's, that's the biggest way people pass down generational wealth and stability from one generation to another. Um, but the, but for these people in the cities who don't have the resources to, um, buy land or whatever, you know, and get, and get outside, which <laughs> who knows, who knows what good a land deed from the U S government or whatever government's going to be once, once there's no system anymore, you know, of course, but, uh, if you're in the city, uh, bushcraft is definitely going to be, uh, something that you're going to need to heavily focus on because, uh, you're, uh, I mean, unless, unless, unless you can somehow make staying, unless you're going to be one of the, one of the few people who make staying in the city work out hypothetically, maybe, uh, in that scenario, then you're gonna, you're gonna need to get out of it and go and go, uh, find places with open fields and pastures and rivers and animals running around and fish that you can eat. Uh, you're going to need to go out and, and find these places. And so bushcraft is going to be the only thing that's going to be able to get you there or get you there alive, um, at least. And so, uh, if you're in the city, you need to practice, you need to practice bushcraft so that you can, um, so that whenever the time comes, you can get out. And then, uh, who knows, maybe eventually you'll find, uh, you'll find a community of, uh, of people that you can settle down with and, and then put your homesteading skills to use, you know? So two, two questions for you. Um, to what degree do you think an, uh, an economic downturn could potentially stop or slow down the sort of er the development of the urban sprawl? Yeah. Do you um, think that is relative? Well, It'll uh, it'll definitely slow it down um, for for a time being. I'm not exactly sure. There's definitely a a large economic downturn uh, in motion and coming. And I think that I think that I think that 2008 was just the appetizer. It was just the you know it was just the uh, it, it was just the warm up show you know for for the main event that's coming. Uh, you know I, I hope that I I would wish for that not to be the case. But I'm I'm in very sober realistic terms. I think that's going to be the case. So um, right. no, you just said that the. Um there's going to be an economic downturn that in that oh, 2008 yeah, yeah, yeah. was definitely just the appetizer. Yeah. I agree entirely. Um, it, I don't, I, I think it's more obvious now than it ever has been in terms of like the, the sort of the warning signs for this. Yeah. Here's my only problem though. Um, I've been saying an economic collapse is coming for like 25 years. Right. So, I mean, like, yeah, I was about to, I was about to address that actually the fact that we have a boom bust cycle sort of economy and the fact yeah, that sort it's, of every 10 years yeah. or so it just shits the bed, you know, or yeah. 15 or whatever. Yeah. I was uh, just about to say, what I was about to say is um, it's definitely downturning and, but whether this will be uh, any, anything approaching a, a permanent downturn, I don't think so. It might be a protracted downturn, um, but uh, eventually, you know, it might slow down technical development for a while, but I think, I think they're going to find, you know, some other uh, speculative bubble way to keep the world running. Uh, and then there'll be, you know, a period of growth again or whatever. But um, yeah, sure. Things are definitely going to slow down in the, in the coming years. Um, in some places, there's going to be some places where it might speed up. So what are some things that um, you, yeah, you say bushcraft, but you know, what are some skills that you've been learning that you find most valuable that you think people would find value in? Yeah. Well, I practice, um, I do practice bushcraft, um, but most of my most of my um, practicing skills uh, are homesteading because that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm living in a sedentary manner, and uh, and I plan on staying here if I can in the future. So, uh, and and I've only been I've only been doing this for about a year and a half at this point, um, and so you know this is this is definitely going to be a thing that takes years for me to you know really uh, get running smoothly and and completely self sufficiently. Um, but what I've been doing. Um, 
homesteading wise, uh, most most of my focus has been on um, food production, agriculture, and permaculture. And last year, I did. Um, I had I had quite the bountiful garden last year. I mean, I had last year. I tried to. My, my problem last year was that I wanted to grow every single vegetable that I liked and I wanted to just plant everything that I liked and had a big colorful garden. Um, and then I, and then I figured out, <laughs> I, f I figured out that that's nice, but you can't just live off of eggplants and tomatoes, you know? Um, and so, uh, I had so many vegetables to can, um, and so little use for all those canned vegetables. I mean, I mean, I ate, uh, and I'm still eating on the squash and zucchini and the eggplant that I canned last year, but, um, but there's come out by the way. Oh, awesome! I, I love them. <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh. But, Sometimes well, the squash it gets kind of a little a little too mushy when you can. Well, it. well, well, yeah. I thought about that, and what I did is most of the squash that I canned, I let it get um super mature, and so I let it get super big and firm, and that way oh, it yeah. sort of it sort of got squished down to a to a normal or to a level that would be normal. And I found that the flavor wasn't compromised much at all um, by doing that. Oh, um, at least for me. Right, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, you're fine. You're fine. Um, but uh, this year, this year particularly, um, my primary goal is to accomplish um, is to accomplish the goal of feeding myself through the winter. And so, I want all of what I produce in the summer to completely um, to sustain me, or at least be able to sustain like seventy five plus percent of what I eat through the winter until I plant again the next year. And so um, last year I did, a, I did a bunch of beans and corn, but I only did like two rows of corn and like four rows of, or no, I mean four rows of corn and like two rows of, uh, two long rows of beans. Um, and so my garden was like 80% vegetables and like 20% bean legumes and grains and stuff like that. And so this year um, my garden is about 80% legumes and grains. I'd say it's about 50% beans. Um, and I've got, I've got, uh, many, many beautiful rows of beans that I planted by hand. And, and, and if I do say so myself, the rows look quite beautiful in parallel anyway. Uh, and, uh, and I've Let got me just jump in for anybody that's listening to him. The reason he's doing this is for more, uh, more protein content. So a more well balanced and nutritious. Oh yeah. Uh, um, uh, crop or yields. So he has a little bit of everything when he, when you were just growing tomatoes and eggs, yeah. you weren't but, getting all the protein you needed. Yeah. Well, well, and it's and it's much it's much more to do. Um, yeah, pro protein is definitely a, a problem, but vegetables are not very calorically dense foods. They're basically like water. They're I mean, it's mostly it's mostly water and plant fiber, and plant fiber isn't even digestible. So it's like you're you're barely getting any nutrients out of a vegetable. I mean, and the nutrients that you do get are important for you, but they're not. Like you're gonna die if you just eat vegetables. Eventually, you're gonna die. Um, and uh, so you you need uh, you need something like uh, beans and corn are just like a security blanket. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't just live on beans and corn if I could afford not to because I prefer um, eggs and meat and dairy and that sort of thing as, as to be the staple of my diet. But beans and corn are um, <laughs> beans and corn are gonna get, definitely get me through and get me through in a way where I won't be um, unhealthy or whatever you know eating on beans and corn. But um, my plan is um, beans and corn because beans and corns. Are are very calorically dense and beans and legumes generally are uh, are um are a pretty good uh, source of all macronutrients although the, i will say that the fats in beans are not something that you can or live off of i mean the fats in any sort of plant is not something that you can live off of forever you need some sort of animal fat in your diet at some point or another um but but yes beans and corn and uh, and i've got a ton of okra as well um which i'm very much looking forward to because i love okra uh but uh, and uh yep. and i did a bunch 
Yes. Uh, and I did a bunch of fruits this year as well, like a uh, watermelon and um, cantaloupe. Oh, j really just melons. Um, but I have uh, I have apple trees and pear trees and plum trees and uh, and all that. A bunch that I planted, but also ones that were here on the property before I got here. And uh, I did some pruning of them last year. And so I'm expecting I'm expecting a pretty good yield this year from them. And I'm hoping to make a bunch of preserves and, and all that. And I think I might have mentioned this last time I was here, but on my property, I have thousands of wild blackberry bushes um and and uh it's my favorite it's it's one of the things that i look forward to most of being here uh at least in the summer is uh harvesting the blackberries and making jam out of them and last year i really wanted to make a lot of jam but um sadly i was an opioid addict and i was a very ineffective person so i couldn't accomplish what i my goals um but this year uh oh this year let me tell you about it i plan on uh hopefully uh, making all the blackberry that I'm that I'm able to make, you know, within reason, of course, and you know, around working and and all that. But um, I love blackberry jam. Uh, I'm not even really a big sweets person. Like I don't even eat it that much. It's just um, I don't know. I just love blackberry jam. I think I want to sell it. Um, really, uh, but. But yes, my main goals for this year are our self, our sustainability. But eventually, I do want to turn my farming into a sort of business. Um, although I don't, I don't need it to survive, you know. But I would like to, like, I would like to go to the farmers market and sell produce and sell my jams. And eventually, I want to have goats and sheep and stuff like that. And I want to make, uh, you know, clothes and stuff out of that. And I thought about making. I know, I know a woman who makes candles and soaps out of goats' milk and all that sort of stuff. And it's something I'm interested in. Yeah, you should do. You should do that. I mean, namely the business part i mean i don't know what part you want to do yeah. plus you, you kind of you can you can kind of fund your projects i mean you can become become self-funding and like expanding your horizons yeah. which is i yeah. think it's really important i well, mean I'm, why not? And it gives you a project like people like we were talking about people want people want to be fulfilled and they need projects i think you yeah. know but people anyway, need to have people goals Yes. People need to have goals whose attainment requires effort and they need to have a success and a reasonable rate of attaining at least some of those goals um but uh my 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 career or, or the thing, the thing that I do to support myself is, um, I do a lot of photography and film work, um, particularly like video work, um, video projects and stuff like that. And so that's, um, that's my trade. And I, and I work with a lot of, uh, you know, high end video and photo equipment. And so, um, I haven't been doing it because I've been, uh, in, in recovery mode um, for a long time. And, uh, I'm not exactly sure who, who said it, but, um, someone at some point said something like, uh, a man needs to stand up and live before he can sit down and write. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and I've, so I've been trying to live and I haven't been producing much, um, typed or video content on my YouTube channel, but I've started to approach the point recently, um, where I'm able to knock down the walls, um, that were surround, that were separating me from engaging in my passions wholeheartedly. Uh, and I've, and I've, and I've, I've been breaking down wall after wall after wall, passion after passion, and uh, and reintroducing myself to them and getting into them again. And I'm finally at the point where um, where I'm uh, where I'm planning on posting a YouTube video soon. And I just I just posted an article today. It's just a short update article, but I'm getting back out there in the world to produce this. And I'd like to uh, I'd like to without compromising my privacy as much as that's possible, share my homesteading journey with people in a video format on my YouTube channel, uh, using all the equipment and skills that's available to me. Um, but like I said, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to compromise my privacy. Like I'm always like, mm, I, how much landscape should I show? Is someone going to be able to triangulate my position by knowing the houses or, or whatever, or, you know, like off in the distance, like that's, that's something that I think about sometimes. And so one sec, let me cough. Well, I'm I'm really happy for you, man. I'm really glad to hear that you've been, you know, coming along and, and improving your you know, your own your own life and that sort of thing. And um I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I your your journey's been been good and I've been um 
I support all that you're doing, and I'm glad you got off fucking opioids. Yeah, um, me as well. Yeah. Um, but, and I will absolutely trade you for some blackberry jam. Um, yeah, we grow blackberries, way. but we never really get enough to make like a ton of jam, you know, like yeah. at, at one time, you know, it's just, yeah. we get a handful every day or, you know, something like that, you know, but, um, I will gladly tr trade you for some of that. And, um, I guess my, um, do you have chickens? Did you say? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I do have chickens. I have a lot of, uh, they're mostly, uh, Brahma chickens. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I do have some Somerset chickens as well. Um, but, but yes, uh, chickens. I, I love my chickens. I've got about, uh, 16 of them right now. Um, and wow. I had, a um, right, right now they're, uh, this is, this is actually a new flock because, um, I had my old flock, uh, my old flock back at the place that I used to live at was like 25 or 30 large. Um, and, uh, and they got withered down over the years. We uh, eventually I sold some because I, I mean, I wasn't doing homesteading and I wasn't, you know, uh, eating the eggs or whatever. And I eventually got down to the point where I only had like, um, six or seven chickens. Uh, and, uh, whenever we were, whenever, uh, you know, we were like moving out, out to where I am at the moment, I, I was kind of like leaving the chickens at my place and I was kind of like coming back to feed them because I hadn't built a, a coop yet for them to move them. Uh, and there was a, there's a couple of times where coons or coyotes or whatever, foxes, you know, gotten, got a chicken. And whenever I eventually moved my chickens over, I only had three chickens left. And so that was what I had last year. And they were still producing me like uh, two to three or four eggs a day, you know, I was still eating good, um, just with my chickens last year, but, um, but I had a, I had a, I had a horrible tragic incident, um, where all, uh, all three of them got killed. And so, um, oh, earlier, yeah, earlier this year around, uh, March, I went and bought all these, uh, I went and bought 16 chicks, uh, of Brahma and Somerset chicks and, uh, they're growing up at the moment and I've got, uh, I've got them enclosed very securely. So that's not going to happen again. Um, and, uh, and you know, they, they, the, my other chickens didn't get killed in their coop or anything. It was like a provisional coop that they were staying in, you know? Um, and so now I've got their actual coop built and I've got their actual, like I've got a, a bird net, you know, netting above their, their pen in the back. And I've got a electric fence that goes around the bottom to, you know, keep uh, foxes and stuff like that out. Uh, and so the chickens are safe and I expect them to start producing eggs sometime around September or November, I think. Awesome. Um, yeah. Why I, I love chickens too. We've we've got a few, but um, why Brahma? Do you um, what, um, any particular reason? They looked cool and they had hairy feet. <laughs> I was, yeah, I, I, I really have the feathers on the feet. They're yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why. That's why I got them. Basically. Yeah. Fair enough. Right. You know. Um, yeah. Do you, are you are you thinking about doing meat birds at all or? Um, well, I've got a bunch of turkey on my property, uh, and so oh, there you I, go. Can, I can hunt turkey, but I don't think I'll raise any meat birds. You know, I mean, I can I can hunt turkey and duck and geese and all that, but I don't think I'll raise them. Uh, even even my chickens. I mean, maybe maybe uh, if if a chicken's you know sufficiently old and I know they're going to kick the bucket and they're good eating, I might make a meat bird out of them. But generally, I, I I haven't I've never eaten one of my chickens before. But then again, I was vegan for years, and now I'm not vegan anymore, um, and so. Maybe I'll eat a meat chicken, or maybe I'll make one a meat bird. We'll see. It's rough. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I'm not, uh, yeah, I, I can never, imagine so. I, I love animals so much, especially when you raise them and stuff. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 why I don't I don't have any interest in doing it. Uh, honestly, I'd rather just let the chicken die a natural death and bury it with a little tombstone. That's what I'd rather do. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Well, because you know everybody thinks of chicken as the thing you buy at the store or to eat, right? But when you raise chickens, they are like dogs. They're oh, like yeah. pets. You know, yeah. they're very intelligent for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
so that yeah. you, you grow definitely grow an attachment to your your chickens absolutely I, I will say that for sure um so you'd almost have to like if it was me and i was growing meat birds i'd have to have like a separate coop yeah and like try not to <laughs> try not to look at them or right, right. or Don't form a connection me. with them yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah my grandpa my grandpa used to uh raise turkeys in a in a coop like that and he used to um slaughter them for meat birds and um well i mean he eats pig brains so you know he's a crazy guy but he uh uh so he he did that so if i ever wanted to do that i'm sure he'd, i'm sure he'd help me out but I, I don't i don't have any plans on doing it at the moment okay yeah, yeah. um so what, what are some um so since you've gotten clean, what are some skills you've learned that you're you're very proud of yourself for? Well, the biggest thing is that uh, the biggest thing is that uh, I lift and I lift a lot now. I've put on quite a bit of muscle uh, since I've gotten clean, uh, and it's the thing. It's actually the thing that it's actually the thing that <laughs> keeps me sober. Like uh, I have to I have to work out every morning, first thing in the morning before breakfast, and uh, if I don't do that, then my day is ruined. Like I just spin my wheels and and uh, and it's uh it's a it's a whole thing to explain but i'm i uh I, I, the day the days that i don't work out are very uh, messy days where i struggle to stay clean and, and get things done but um whenever i'm working out every single day i'm very confident and stable in my recovery um and uh and skills skills that i've uh, developed since then is uh, i've very very much gotten into fishing lately um and fly fishing um especially um, and, uh, I've, I've gotten back. Well, these are things that I'm getting back into, uh, you know, cause I, I used to fish before I was vegan, but I went vegan whenever I was like 14. So it's been a long time, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, fishing and I've, and I've been getting, uh, getting a lot into archery. Um, and I've, I've just been, you know, improving a lot of my gardening skills and, and, and all that. It's like last year, last year I was gardening and I've retained a lot of the experience that I had, but it's like, I was in a, it's like, I was just in a dream. Like I was not even conscious. Like I was, you know, sort of just floating through it. Uh, and so whenever I think back of last year, it's like, it wasn't even like a conscious experience almost, you know, it's like a, it's like a, just a, a memory of a dream in my mind. It's a, it's quite strange. Um, but, um, but yeah, most, uh, uh, and also, uh, also I picked up the guitar, um, in January and I've been playing the guitar a ton, uh, ever since then. Uh, and, um, uh, th th those are, those are, those are definitely the, the, the biggest things are, uh, guitar and, uh, archery and, uh, fishing and, uh, and lifting. Dude, sure. you're, you're doing everything. Awesome, <laughs> you're doing, how do you find the time? That's awesome though. I, I'm so jealous yeah. actually that you're able to even do all those things. I have barely enough time to podcast and do audio stuff and then, um, learn yeah. a couple languages. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Well, um, and the lifting though, is, is really good. Like I still have some residual, like the, uh, uh, residuals of that habit. And, uh, to my, tomorrow I'm off work. So if I don't lift when I'm off work, then, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine, but, um, yeah, that's awesome. That's good to hear. Uh, yeah, well, I'm 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 very blessed to be able to do these things because I'm able to financially support myself with a. Uh, well, my, most people have to have to work a a full time job, and and you know there there are weeks that I that I do put in full time hours, but I'm able to support myself um, without 
without without putting in full time hours most week. And so most week most weeks um, and and the reason for that is like I said because I do photography and film and I'm able to charge a lot for a particular gig. So I can go out and do a gig and like and just grind on it and get it done and then have, you know, like $2000 to sit on and live off of or whatever. And then I can, you know, I can spend a week just doing gardening shit all week if I want to. That's you amazing. Know, so. Yeah, I mean, I figured but I mean obviously just 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 no way. There's no other explanation for it but like that's that's amazing. I that should have got into that. No, I mean, I'm actually, I mean, I'm self-employed just like Zach is, but, uh, I have to be a hard boss of myself sometimes. <laughs> that, yeah. That, that's, that's oh, me, me, me as well. Trust me. I've made many blunders in my business, uh, past and I've got many, uh, uh, but, but, uh, thankfully, thankfully I've been able to, I've been able to pick it up and keep going and, and, uh, and businesses, business has been doing pretty good despite all the, uh, economic troubles. Uh, that, yeah. Oh, I can, I can imagine that would have, you know, I mean, as far as photography and videography, uh, you kind of need, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, events of interest, I guess, to be occurring to, um, yeah. I mean, that, did that kind of hit you kind of rough during the actual pandemic period? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, well, during the, during the pandemic period, I was, uh, <laughs> I was, uh, kind of, well, here and there I was in and out of rehab, uh, and, uh, and I was kind of floating between some people's houses. And so I wasn't really doing a whole lot during the pandemic or at least during the early pandemic period. But then in 2021, um, you know, is when I, well, I was still addicted to an opioid, but I wasn't like out wiling or anything. Uh, and it's when I moved uh, here. And so, yeah, business was definitely rough during the apex of the pandemic, whenever it's lockdowns and masks and, and, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, and I don't even, I don't even, well, if I, if I keep talking about what gigs I'm doing, I'll, I'll potentially dox myself, but, um, but yeah, business was definitely a little bit rough, but it's picked up, uh, it's picked, uh, well, ever since, ever since people stopped wearing masks everywhere, business is basically just fine now, you know, yeah. but pe people, uh, people, um, people didn't, you know, want to, when people had these big events or whatever, you know, like stuff that I film like the, you know, people didn't want to you know, have one recorded where everyone's like wearing a mask or whatever, like, you know, or at least for like personal, like people's like personal, like family events and stuff like that, you know? And, uh, and anyway, anyway, but things are going good now, thankfully. Good. No, man. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. I'm really glad to hear that. Um, I, I, I know you've been in touch a little bit and I know you're going through a real rough time, so it's good to hear you're, you're doing real well and, um, it, it's good to see. So good. I, I hope things keep going well for you. We should probably start wrapping this up a little bit. We're, yeah. on, we're on a good solid two hours or so. But yeah. any other points you'd like to impart to our audience before we sort of wrap it up? Um, yeah, if you want to change your life, start lifting, first of all. Um, and uh, second of all, get clean. And uh, that's it, basically. Well, maybe, maybe uh, not in that order. Um, but actually, you know, maybe in that order, actually, yeah actually do it in that order i would add uh also produce your own food as much as possible and know where sure. your food's coming from and be excellent to each other absolutely yeah absolutely penguin do you have anything before we, we wrap this up no um no that was great that was a, a great pod i'm glad we got to discuss solutions and stuff that um like if we delve into the to theory and theoretical discussion and, and stuff like that, you know, that's fantastic. But I think you, uh, you know, your ideas really speak to the uh, to the practical and not just the theoretical. You're living a life, and that's really awesome. I mean, and not not only just your success, but the fact that you're just like walking a walk. You know. Well, I very much appreciate the well wishes and the support, my fellows. Thank you. 
All right. Yeah, thanks well, for thank coming you on. For... This was uh, this was a great yeah. episode. Do you want to plug um, anything you're and anything oh, yeah. you're doing? Um, just just endthemachine.com, and uh, you can go to my YouTube channel. There hadn't been anything uploaded there in a few months, but soon uh, there will be there will be some content there. So. And what was That's the name it. of the article you just put out today? Um, let me look. It's a. Uh, oh wait, I've got it right here. It's called "Update: Drug Addiction, Sobriety, Growth, Still Homesteading." Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. I look forward to that. Well, thanks, brother. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, and um, I hope everybody comes and check out check out your work. And um, I hope things keep going well for you, man. I very much appreciate it. Thank you. It's been lovely being here. All right. All right. Peace thanks. Peace Take care, everyone. Peace. See ya.